Hello, this is the Organic BC Podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr, an organic corn grower from the Okanagan Valley and the show's current host. What you're about to listen to is a re-release of an episode originally produced for the 2022 BC Organic Conference. I hope you enjoy it! This episode, we delve into the British Columbia Certified Organic Program. It's commonly known as the BCCOP. It's the program that many small and medium-scale farms in BC are enrolled in, and its structure and focus as a volunteer-driven, regionally limited certification regime is fairly unique in North America. You'll hear a bit of the history of the program, why it exists, what makes it special, and we'll explore how the evolution of organic sector oversight has created a tension that we as a community need to discuss and address. So let's get into it. Let's start by meeting the people who made throat sounds for this episode. All have been active in BC's organic sector, and organic BC specifically, for decades. The COABC, with a lot of support from our... Patty Doherty is an Enderby-based organic farmer who helped develop BC's organic standards, as well as the Canada-wide organic regulations that exist now. He's a Brad Reed Award winner, past executive member of PACS and the COABC, and he's very well placed to talk about the history of BC's organic sector. Good idea. And... Um... So is Anne Macy. I mean, something we haven't talked about is the low risk. Anne has been a workhorse in the sector. She's also a Brad Reed Award winner, a past president of Canadian Organic Growers, and up until her recent semi-retirement, she was the director of COABC's accreditation board. So her perspective on BCCOP will be useful here. But there are still criteria for that. And just to mix things up, I'll let Kara Nunn tell her own story. Hi. Uh, my name is Kara Nunn. I'm uh, working here at my home in Falkland, BC, which is the offices of uh, the North Okanagan Organic Association and the uh, Similkameen uh, Okanagan Organic Producers Association. And I've been an administrator, certification committee coordinator for NUA for over 25 years, and I've been working with SUPA now for um, in the neighborhood of six, six years. So I come with a, a lot of experience on the regional program, and um, I'm happy to be here to talk with you. All right, so as we wade into the topic of the BCCOP, let's explore a little history of organic certification in BC. I don't want to get bogged down, so I'll keep it simple. And I promise everyone that as we move through this episode, you'll hear less and less of me and more of our guests. So stay with me. At some point in the 1980s in BC, farmers from different regions of the province formed groups to try and define and set out common standards of organic management. These groups became the first certification bodies in BC. They were largely or entirely run on volunteer service from their membership, which essentially means that the farmers got together to review each other's practices and confer certification on members in good standing. This is called a peer review approach to organic certification, and that will become important in a few minutes. Meanwhile, the organic sector kept growing, and in the early 90s, a few of the province's certifying bodies, with support from the government, came together to create a province-wide standard that they all agreed to follow. They formed a non-profit group called the Certified Organic Associations of BC, COABC, which is just rebranded as Organic BC, and most of those certifying bodies exist today. Here's Patty talking about that period. At that point, it was voluntary um, because there wasn't uniform uni uh, uh, acceptance of it. There was uh, a few certification bodies that objected to it. They didn't want government involvement. Um, 
and uh, they had different reasons. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to speak for their, you know, their reasons, but, um, so we kept it as a voluntary regulation. So if you wanted to use the term British Columbia certified organic and the, the accompanying, uh, program symbol, which is what we call the, the logo, right? Um, you, you had to belong to a certification body that subscribed to it. You had to, to do this and this and this. Uh, but it was voluntary. You didn't have to do that. You could call yourself organic. Um, you could be certified and call yourself organic, or you could just plain old call yourself organic and there was no law about it. But if you called yourself British Columbia certified organic, you had to follow the law. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at this point, we've got a voluntary provincial program overseen by a number of certifying bodies that use peer review as the basis for reviewing and granting certification status, which is working well within the context of BC, but it wasn't going to work for valuable export markets overseas. Here's Anne Macy explaining that. The international markets were calling for a different certification process. Like the international markets were uh, wanted everything to be under the... Is, meet the ISO requirements, the International Standards Organization, for how you conduct certification and inspection and all of those things. So can I stop you there? Are you saying, what you're suggesting is, going back, I'm going to just roughly place us in the early to mid-90s or maybe a little bit later. Um, If I'm a certified organic operator in British Columbia, but I want to be able to sell into international markets, um, some some of those destinations were requiring... Um, a higher standard of essentially certification, that, but but this was not being overseen by the Canadian government, by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Right. So at that I, point, it wasn't. Yeah. So, so as a, as a, so I, I say at that time, I'm certified by PACS. If it existed that far back, I believe it did. Um, yep. PACS enabled me to get a further third party component to my certification. I, I, ISO ISO is that. Yes, so PAX at that point was offering, you know, that extra, the program. And the difference really between, or the approach between ISO, it's very much, you know, keep your distance and, um, you know, no consulting, none of, pay, there's a whole lot of extra kind of rules, which was quite different from what the approach that we had taken in BC before. So I don't know. Um, some people, I don't, I didn't participate with all the certifying bodies, but I, I did go to some early certification committee meetings of IOPA, for, for example. And there were a lot of people in the room on that. It was really was a peer review. It was farmers looking at, you know, farmers, farmers they knew, um, and making collective decisions about whether this operation met, met the standards. Um, Going to the ISO system, you know, you sent in an inspector, the stuff came back, and it was one or two people on the certification committee uh, looking at everything, making the, making the decisions. And the no consultation, and the inspectors just had to go in and look and, write, you know, not discuss it and write down what they saw. And so essentially they want... It's a want... very different approach from what we had previously. So, so... that. Yeah, so ISO ISO is super concerned about about conflicts of interest and bias, and so they 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 really want uh, to maintain a bit of arm's length or a wall between right. the operators and the people involved in the auditing process. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, and which make which makes sense when you're France and you're just you you need some way to to have to for 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 consumers in France to have any kind of faith in this organic these organic cherries coming from British Columbia so far away. Mm-hmm. Can we take a second to focus on the word standard in organic standards? Because the history of both Canadian and worldwide organic standards is a progression towards standardization, so that organic in one region of Canada or part of the world means the same thing elsewhere which is kind of essential once you take a product that commands a premium in the marketplace and start shipping it all over the place. Anyway, with that in mind, Patty and Anne will now talk about the development of a Canada-wide standard, which exists now as the Canada Organic Regime, also known as COR. Yeah, so um, concurrent with the British Columbia sort of organic program and probably predating it a bit was the Quebec program. Uh, So there was two programs in Canada, provincial programs. And the impetus for a federal program was trade. The European Union had come up with a regulation and uh, they had set certain edicts and timelines on these edicts, although they kept changing the goalposts, you know. But um, nonetheless, uh, in order to, to ship products into the European Union, which included uh, uh, the United Kingdom at that point, you needed to have a national regulation and we didn't have a national regulation and Quebec went and talked to them and said well we've got a provincial regulation and they told them to come back when they were a country like they they wouldn't uh, 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 recognize Quebec as a as a sovereign nation in terms of a regulation so in 2003 the COABC with a lot of support from our Ministry of Agriculture, a continuing support, um, was able to access some funds and hire me to develop a national regulation and convince all the other provinces that it was a good idea and um, that, and uh, you know go ahead and do this. So this took six years, and um, the why it, I mean, it worked for a number of reasons. Um, but it, there was motivation and particularly in Quebec, Quebec needed this regulation too, because they needed that access. So when we had support from our colleagues in Quebec, we had really good leverage with the federal government because the federal government listens to Quebec. And, uh, so, uh, cooperating together, you know, across Canada and working hard at it, you know, eventually we got a national regulation. A lot of work went on to have a, a Canadian system. So rather than different certifiers operating and, and having consumers confused by all the different labels, do they all mean the same thing? Um, is one certifying body certifying at a higher level than another certifying body? So we'd pushed you know, across the country that all different organizations and individuals had, had been pushing the government and there had been a, a number of tries at at it to try and get a, a national system at that time um, to go back you know to your question whatever year that was we continued with the bc certification program for and that was mainly the smaller certifiers and initially it was two um cbs pax and fopa that went with a canadian system and then one of the other regional bodies decided they wanted to move up to also offer the ISO one um, 
So for a while there, there was three bodies that were under the Canadian program. So, with the development of the COR, the BC organic sector had a choice to make. Drop the long-standing BC COP and require all certified operators to be certified under the COR, or maintain two separate programs to cater to different needs. Ultimately, we ended up with both programs. Here's Anne explaining that decision. Well, there's certain characteristics, let's put it that way, certain characteristics of the British Columbia program that we wanted to maintain that wasn't going to be possible under the Canada organic regime. The tradition was it was a peer review system, um, and that was definitely not allowed under the Canadians uh, and the ISO requirements. So for small certifiers as well, the Canadian system involved a, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of you know having to have every single thing written down in great detail and all these things that seemed absolutely overkill um, for some of the smaller certifiers or the regional certifiers where you know everybody knew everybody and and that was the tradition so we wanted to maintain that as a possibility otherwise everybody would have had to um, drop those certifying smaller certifying bodies or the certifying bodies would have to step up, which was a very onerous process. So we decided, um, or COBC decided, not um, at that point, well, let's maintain the two, but use the same standard. So everybody's using the Canadian standard, but the certification programs are different. Um, the Canadian system didn't allow for things like low-risk programs, things like that, that have proved, you know, very valuable. And there's also um, people that wanted to maintain their certification but maybe didn't have a big market or they just wanted to demonstrate that they were an organic farmer. But there was, there's no place for those kind of uh, operations within the Canadian uh, national system. So that... That is kind of, okay, well, we can do this. We can keep the same uh, level of integrity. It's the same standard. And as long as people meet that standard, maybe there are other ways to do the certification program or we can continue the traditional way of doing the certification without having to go through all the hoops that the ISO certification entails. And it's, but it was also um, cost has something quite a bit to do with that and, and the size of operations because a lot of the smaller operations, um, you know, wanted to maintain certification. If you add all those extra levels into it, suddenly the cost of certification is much more expensive. And so that was also a factor. I think people wanted to maintain what they had um, and, and keep it affordable. Real quick, I want to reiterate something mentioned in case you missed it. When we talk about organic standards, i.e. the way that farmers have to farm if they want to be certified organic, the BCCOP and COR don't really differ. Once the COR came into force, the standard that it spelled out became the standard that the BCCOP had to meet. The difference, rather, is in how the two programs are overseen and audited. And just gave some examples. Oversight based on volunteers doing peer review is allowed in the BCCOP, but not really in the COR, which much prefers to see arm's length auditors who are paid to conduct reviews of farmers' organic practices. 
There are also added layers of oversight and verification in the COR that require more bureaucracy. It makes sense. Once you're shipping food across borders and potentially around the world, the idea of assumed trust doesn't work, and the potential for fraud increases, which is counteracted by more layers of verification. When we talk about verification, we're not talking so much about the certified operations themselves, but the procedures and documentation that take place to administer the certification. Essentially, you've got the certifying bodies certifying the farms and other operations, and then you've got accreditation bodies, which verify that the certifying bodies are doing their work properly, all in the name of protecting the integrity of the organic regime in question, and thus ensuring that the public can place their trust in the organic label. There are three accreditation bodies in Canada, and one of them is Organic BC. So, any certifying bodies that belong to Organic BC, whether they certify to the BCCOP or COR, are subject to accreditation by Organic BC's accreditation board. Periodically, the accreditation board comes calling to each CB and says, open up your records to us so we can verify that your procedures and documentation is sufficient. As you've just learned, the level of verification is different depending on whether the CB is certifying to BCCOP or COR, with the COR certifying bodies being subject to more stringent oversight and verification in a global marketplace where the risk of fraud is greater. Or at least, it's supposed to be different. So now let's hear from Kara Nunn, the administrator for two different certifying bodies that certify to the BCCOP. Kara has been in her role for years, so she was around when the COR came into existence. Here, she talks about how the two programs were to be overseen differently when COR came into being. I remember there being a memo come out saying that if there is an interest in, in pursuing um, the ISO accreditation as a CB, that we would have uh, a list of paperwork that would be required. And it was quite extensive and it was actually almost... Um, with the the tone of being not encouraged so that we knew that uh, PAX was forming uh, to to take on this ISO level accreditation and and the gist of the letter was really this is a great big job a lot of paperwork a lot of administration and you really probably don't want to uh, pursue it definitely we didn't <laughs> as NUA or SUPA uh, I know it's come up as a question in, in since that original split is like, should we pursue it? And it's been very quickly shot down because of cost and, and the administrative needs. So it's the, the first off appearance was definitely that it would require a huge change in how we administer the program and how we administer certification. Um, and and the emphasis had been on like the, the the written trail that would be needed in order to prove out our our following the standards, right? So that for an ISO level to follow or to prove out that we were actually following the the steps in providing services. So the accreditation requirement would be extremely onerous, whereas the BC program would continue on much as it was, which was obviously not as onerous, although it was still there was still a requirement to meet the standards and to show that we were following it in good faith. Um, 
I think that the the emphasis on on the BC program was that good faith part. So it was still looked at as uh, it's our program. We're uh, obviously committed to creating the program and upholding the program. So the oversight was a little bit more on a friendly scale. Is like, are you actually doing what you say you're going to do? And and the investigation into that was at a lot lower level than what it appeared that the ISO would require. So that's how things were when the split took place. Over time, though, Kara feels that the level of scrutiny has been increasing. I think that the auditors are spending more and more time checking on the oversight. It used to be a little more cursory than what I see today. So 20 years ago, yes, they looked at our systems and they, you know, what do you have for a policy and how do you deal with this? And and once you had sort of a, a written or even like a, a flow, if you could describe that flow, they accepted that. They didn't look for proof that that flow was actually adhered to strictly. And I'm finding that the, it's just gotten more and more tight on, okay, so this is your flow, but it wasn't done in this instant, which has good and bad aspects to it. I mean, it's, it's nice in some ways to be held accountable to a process that we've established. At the same time, it's um, looking even beyond the level that we look at as a, like the certification committee doesn't spend the time that the accreditation board does per file, looking to see that everything's done correctly. So and, uh, if, if, if I could paraphrase, it sounds like you're saying that they've, they've, they've always used a comb, but the comb they show up with, it, you know, comes with increasingly smaller teeth, like just a finer yes. and finer tooth comb that they're using to look like to, to approach yes. their audits. Yeah, I would, that's a very well, <laughs> a good description. Okay, so that's Kara's point of view. But when I asked Anne, who retired as the director of Organic BC's accreditation board a couple of years ago, about the difference in levels of scrutiny, here's what she had to say. Yeah, I mean, that is very different. I mean, just in, if you look at, I mean, basically there's criteria for each program. I mean, there's, for the BC program, there's maybe, I don't know what it is in the manual, 10 pages of, you know, quite well-spaced uh, uh criteria if you look at the ISO program there's maybe 30 pages of very dense text so you the CB has to show that it's meeting all those criteria so we do that through you know document reviews and file reviews and basically it's not for the regional program if it's clear what you're doing and it's transparent what you're doing, that's what we're getting at. It's got to meet the standard. You've got to make that information of how you do things and how you um, arrive at your decisions. You have to make it clear to people. So it has to be documented in some way. Under the ISO system, you know, you require lots of manuals and great detailed procedures for absolutely everything you do. And the accreditation board has to go in and make sure that 
if they've got something written down, they're actually doing that. So just at that level, um, it's it's a very much more complicated under the ISIN system. Then we look at the files, and what we do is, okay, we're not interested when you look at the files whether the person, what the operator does, but we're looking at how the certifier handled that file. Do they have all the bits of information necessary that they need to make a decision? What was the quality of the inspection report? Um, was there due process followed? How many people reviewed it? Was it one person? Was it five person, persons? Did they record the decision? I mean, you might look at the decisions and say, well, as the auditor, and say, well, I see a certificate in the file, but look at these concerns the inspector raised, and there's no evidence anywhere about how you got from those concerns to a certificate. So, that as you know, just as an example, so that's the kind of thing you're doing, and it's you, you're looking at a lot less files under the regional system, but you're still making sure that all the crucial bits of information are there and good decisions are made. So it's just trying to maintain that integrity all the way through. Under the ISO system, you have you bring somebody in, usually from overseas or from the U.S. or somewhere, because we don't have the people in Canada that seem to have the um, qualifications that are required to do the audits. They come in for three or four days, um, come back a year later and do the same thing and look at files, depending on how many people there are on the certification body, dictates how long the auditing process takes because it, it, it um, it's the number of files is in relation to the number of operators. And so that's, it's not, it's a quite a different level, but the, in terms of how much you're looking at, but the main thing at the end is, okay, were the correct decisions made? Do the operators meet the organic standards? But my sense from this conversation and, and other conversations with you is that um, you you believe, you know, appropriate and thorough overview towards organic integrity is 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 a vital part of both of these systems. Yes, definitely, because it's it's all right if you're selling, you know, at the market and you see the people you're selling to and they see who their farmer is and that's one relationship. But the thing about the market now is a lot of organic product is being bought by people who don't have a clue who those individual farmers are. And so you have to have that trust throughout the system. And you could say, well, all right, if you belong to a regional body, you could only sell at a you know, face-to-face to your customer, but we're not doing that, right? So it has to be at a, a if you don't know your farmer, that label has to stand for something and you have to be able to trust that label. And as you'll hear Patty argue, a peer review system needs to function at a certain level of procedure and transparency in order to avoid conflicts of interest. All, all the members of the COABC could spend, could be more, I have, I've always felt this, more understanding of the nature of risk. And the, the uh, risk is the... Um, um, the severity of a of a of a an occurrence uh, times the probability that that might happen, right? So there is very high risk to the program by having something bad happen, and um, you can just envision what 
what that might be in terms of uh, health risk or a scandal or something, right? And um, so it can be something not very, in itself, very big deal. And yet it can be, have enormous implications for the, um, the, the quality of our, of our program and our, the impression of the, the public has for our program. And what I'm getting at is that um, part of the reason that the accreditation board's budget has gone up is because they're spending more time looking at how well the, the voluntary programs, the regional programs, are um, administrating the regulations. And um, back to risk, there is a very big risk in that program not being administered properly. Like we could um, lose a lot of credibility in the public if we don't do that work. So it's a difficult trade-off. I think that there has to be a way to run up, like if you're going to, to do this thing that is a conflict of interest, if you're gonna <clears throat> tell somebody else that one of your neighbors is okay, um, according to this regulation, you gotta be able, you, it can't be um, casual, you know? Like I, I was on the board of the, I was on the certification committee for COPA for many years and I know my personal bias, like it was a lot easier for me to go heavy and for, for somebody I never knew and never met down at Pemberton and say, well, that guy's water quality has to be whatever or something like that, you know? And yet somebody that, I knew and was a friend, a close friend, it was really hard for me to be um, heavy on them. You know what I'm talking about? To it's difficult. To totally, totally. Yeah. So uh, we're allowing this to happen. We're allowing um, voluntary, a voluntary system. Um, what, I'm, what I mean is that we're allowing volunteers to certify um, their their peers, their colleagues, we have to have really good oversight to make sure that that happens. When I spoke to Kara, I asked her if it was such a bad thing to hold BCCOP certifying bodies to increasingly higher expectations of procedure and documentation in the name of ensuring program integrity. It, in itself, it isn't. Like the theory of it is good and sound. The practice of it, though, because the certify the certification committee is a volunteer peer um, review panel. These are farmers we're talking about, and we're talking about asking them to to be very nitpicky in paperwork um, on files that they're looking at. And I think maybe one or two they could manage that on, but we're asking them to do that on a large number of files. And I think that um, it's uh, it's beyond what can be done with um, a volunteer, a farmer who's volunteering their time to maintain the system. I'm, I'm going to attempt to bring it to some kind of summary which is that in your view something has to change either 
either it's the BCCOP that has to change, that peer review is no longer um, able or suitable to um, operate under the current level of auditing. So in that scenario, the consensus is the auditing at its current level is is absolutely appropriate and necessary, and it's it's the peer review system that needs to change, or right. or it's it's more that um, we're currently at at, an, at a level of oversight and auditing um, that perhaps is in some ways overkill for a system right. that operates regionally within provincial borders, um, in which yeah. case that needs to change and. I, I really, you know, we I didn't want this conversation to come to any great conclusions, and I I hope it's come through that even you are acknowledging that 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 is the choice that you're not stridently arguing that you know the 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 accreditation board needs to to correct their actions or change just that just that there's a problem right now which is that the the peer review system is 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 feeling too much strain something needs to change. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think that is a, a very good summary of it. Like, we're, I think we're coming to an impasse. And I don't know what system should change or whether there's a way to come to a, a middle point between us. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're at an impasse. So what do we do? So far, I think the case for a high level of scrutiny has been made pretty clear. But what about the other side of it? I think it's really important to consider the trade-offs that might be involved in emphasizing something like much higher expectations around documentation and procedure and all the rest when you're talking about a peer review system. Here are some clips of all three guests talking about what makes the BC COP special. Okay, well, Patty, I was going to, at some point in this conversation, I was going to ask you, I wanted to talk to you about what makes BC COP special or unique. And You've already been doing that through the conversation, but I would like to maybe do a little bit of a summary now. So I'm going to start by um, repeating your words in a sense back yeah. to you. You've mentioned when we're comparing to COR, first of all, um, BCCOP just kept costs more reasonable for for the for the for the farmers that didn't need to ship their products across borders. So cost was one, and related to the cost was just um, less bureaucracy um, involved in BCCOP. And you explained why with um, the demands of international standards um, in a system that when it's that big, you can't just base on trust because nobody knows each other who are producing food halfway across the world from each other. Um, so we've got, we've got cost, we've got bureaucracy. You mentioned uh, ownership or control in the BCCOP, the uh, operators through their CBs have a lot of um, a relative degree of investment and autonomy in operating the regulation, something that makes the program special and BC rather unique in the world. Um, and now you've just mentioned that under the BCCOP, there's more flexibility to certify products that are not just food for human consumption. Um, you've mentioned the low risk program that uh, that is the BC was the first in the world to do. Um, and to me, injects a little bit of common sense that in into the regulation that in some cases, certain in certain scenarios or contexts, some operators um, do not need a yearly inspection for whatever set of reasons uh, because because 
the, the potential for dishonesty or fraud or what have you, they're at lower risk of that or by virtue of where their marketing channels or whatever. So we've got cost, we've got bureaucracy, we've got the products we can certify, we've got the low risk program. Is there anything else you can think of as far as um, what makes BCCOP special or unique? Well, I mentioned the benefit of the BC Certified Organic Program. The benefit is that we get to manage within BC this program um, on our own with the, you know, with the oversight of the BC government, which um, I'm repeating myself, has been very supportive of the program over the years and uh, basically allowed us to do the things that we wanted to do as long as we were uh, following the regulations. And um, again, repeating myself, that this was very progressive reg regulation. It was, um, uh, what do they call it? Enabling legislation. So it, the, this, the organization, the Certified Organic Association of British Columbia, is written right into the regulation as the administrator of the regulation. So it gives us a lot of uh, ability to manage the program in the way we see fit with oversight uh, from the provincial government. We would end up losing the ability for small farms to afford certification services. And we would sort of drive them into some other field such as as good as organic or naturally raised or right. They would use an alternative mm -hmm. to um, that would fit with their ideals and their pocketbook. Or they would just drop out and, and perhaps stick with their ideal and not bother calling it anything. Um, so I think we, we risk losing those grassroots members mm -hmm. that, that are so critical for maintaining the ideal of, of organics, like that small, diverse, local that's all the heart of organics. And I think that if we can't keep it affordable and manageable for that level, we're going to alienate and, and lose the purpose of what organics is. But I think it's really important to maintain that connectedness between people because I think the other system is, they're not so connected. There's not that you know peer support system and I think it, I think they're valuable things that we need to, to keep. It, well, to me, it's the same as like we have our peers on, on a uh, jury. It's people who are out there doing it. It's people who understand what it means to farm as opposed to uh, on the other extreme is a, a bureaucrat creating a rule that has to be followed. So I think that the peer review bridges that and brings a, a sense of reality into what could become just a bureaucratic process of checking boxes on paper. And I think that's important to keep the heart and soul of organics alive is that we need to be real people um, that are doing real things for our environment, for our families, for, for our industry to, you know, to really grow that. And, and it started from an ideology.
that doesn't include a bureaucratic process. This is heart and soul stuff. And I think that, that the peer review keeps that intent and that in touch with um, this whole process of oversight and transparency and, and believability for the consumer because that's important to every farmer as well. I think that is as good as any a place to leave it. Boy, that was a mouthful and it was, you know, kind of a kind of an information dense episode and I hope you stuck with it and even more than that, I hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you're someone who enjoys episodes like this, learning about the history of the organization, you should head over to the completely free public Organic BC podcast feed, which you can find in just about any app that lets you listen to podcasts. Search Organic BC Podcast and look for an episode called COABC Demystified. That episode was part of last year's conference podcast series, and it goes into a little bit of a deeper dive of how the Certified Organic Associations of BC, now publicly branded as Organic BC, came to be. So what's coming up? We've got the beer and bevy night free for anyone to attend, but that does require registration on February 10th in the evening. We really hope to see you there. Yes, it's online, but we're going to make it fun and social and yeah, should be a good time. Then for the two formal conference virtual sessions, mark your calendars Sunday, February 27th and Sunday, March 6th. Go to organicbc.org conference to get all the details on those sessions. There's not much more to say. So we'll finish things off with my four-year-old son, Levon, reciting clauses from the Canadian Organic Standards General Principles and Management document. 4.4.4. The operator shall design and implement a risk management plan to prevent GE contamination, which may include strategies such as physical barriers, border roads, delayed planting, testing of seeds, isolation distances, and equipment and storage sanitation protocols. Mm-hmm.